Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast podcast. We want to extend an invitation to sit in live with us during our weekend service. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message inspires you, but also challenges you in your walk with God. For more information, visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Now here's Pastor Marco with an encouraging word. I want to talk to you today about post-Easter. I think it's too bad that a lot of people stop at Easter. But the truth is, Easter was just the beginning of what God wants to do. I don't know if you've been paying attention this week, but all the hype is around the Avengers. <laughs> Endgame. How many Avengers fans do I have in the house? Wow, I'm surprised. That's not a lot of people. Well, the rest of you are secret Avengers fans, you just don't want to admit it. I, I am a huge, huge fan of the Avengers. These last 11 years have been childhood dreams coming true, man, seeing all these movies. I grew up with the comics, the ones that we can get a hand on in Cape Verde. It's very limited. We really know the meaning of limited edition. Didn't have much, so we ate up what we had. And so this has been an amazing journey to see this stuff comes to life on screen. And so I bought my tickets a few weeks ago. Um, took my sons, and we had a blast. We cried. We laughed. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but go see it, because I'm going to go again, for a fact. And I'll buy the movie when it comes out, for a fact. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm I'm sorry. You missed out on an amazing um, experience this last 11 years. 20, 22 movies, 23 movies in 11 years. But I was thinking about this. Can you imagine going through all these movies, but then coming to this last one, you're like, nah, I'm good. I don't need to see how it ends. Right? That wouldn't make sense to go on this journey and then not watch the last movie that kind of culminates the whole thing. And I think a lot of times that's how people approach Christianity. So you get to Easter and then you stop. But it's like, that's like watching a movie halfway and I know how we ended. You know, I think post-Easter is the most powerful thing about Easter. Because if there's no post-Easter, then Easter was just one event. But Easter was never an event. Easter was a movement that God wanted to birth on this earth. And the fact that we're here this morning, 2,000 and plus years later, shows you the power of Easter. And how what happened after Easter is way more important, way more powerful than just the moment of Easter. Are you, are you tracking so far? And so what I want to do today is, is talk to you a little bit about the power of Easter, post-Easter. Okay? And I want, to, I want to zero in on one conversation Jesus had with one of his disciples after Easter. In John chapter 21, there's this powerful conversation between Jesus and Peter. And if you know a little bit about the gospel, you know that Peter was one of Jesus' first students, right? And Peter was one of those that was very outspoken. If you're outspoken, you know what I'm talking about. Peter was always the one to first say something, to first react. When they came to arrest Jesus, Peter cut someone's ear. I always say Peter was the first thug in the Bible. He's like, Jesus, ride or die. 
I'm all in. But they have this really powerful conversation because Peter actually had a moment where he flaked. He denied Jesus, not one, not once, not twice, but three times he denied Jesus because he felt the pressure of the moment, which they all did, honestly. You know, all of them kind of ran away from the pressure of the moment because they had no idea what was about to happen. As much as Jesus tried to prepare them for it, they just, you just, it's one thing for you to know something in your mind, it's another thing to experience it. And that moment, man, it was, it was heavy. It was a lot of tension in the moment. And Jesus knew that. And he tried to prepare them for it. And Peter just couldn't stand up to that pressure. And he denied Jesus three different times. But this conversation is powerful because this is Jesus coming to Peter after the resurrection. And having a personal, intimate conversation with him that I believe Jesus wants to have with every single one of us. And I always tell you this, you know you're reading the Bible correctly when you begin to personalize it. This was not just a conversation with Peter, this is a conversation with all of us. So basically as we read this, all you got to do is take Peter's name out and just put your name in there. Because I believe this is the conversation Jesus wants to have with every single one of us. If this Easter thing is real, this conversation needs to happen. Are you tracking so far? So John chapter 21, I'm going to pick it up right from 15. Right in the middle of the situation, Jesus appears to them. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know, I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, and Jesus prophesies over him, when you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself and went whenever you wanted to go, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Can you say amen? Like I said, Easter was only the beginning. After Jesus rose from the dead, he spent about 40 days on earth revealing himself to his disciples and to some of the closest followers. We actually have documented that Jesus appeared to over 500 people in those 40 days span, which is very important because a lot of times people kind of dismiss the whole resurrection thing as a myth. But we have documents in the Bible and outside the Bible that talks about Jesus' resurrection. Why is this important? Because a lot of times we think we equate faith with just blind faith. But it's not blind faith, my friends. It's faith with evidence. Right? It's faith rooted in history. It's faith grounded in 
real-time testimonies, right? So, for example, when people say, you know, how do you know Jesus was real? Well, we know he was real because history records that he was real, not just the Bible. He was an historical figure. He lived in real time, in real place. You know, Roman historians talk about it. Greek historians talk about it. Jewish historians talk about it. Now, they may not believe that he was the son of God, but they can't deny that he existed. Right? To deny that Jesus existed is to deny history. How do you know George Washington was the first president of the United States? You weren't there. You, you trust by faith that what history recorded is true. And so it's no different. Right? We have historical account that this man really lived. And we have historical account of people who said, no, not only did he live, he appeared to us. Because if you, you know, sometimes people lose someone and they have those premonition that someone appeared to them. But, but when you're talking about over 500 people, it's kind of hard to deny the facts that are there. Right? Now, here's my favorite part about the evidence of Jesus' resurrection is the first disciples. Because a lot of times we kind of gloss over that. But think about it. They were scared out of their minds because they lived under the Roman Empire, who would crucify anyone who disrupted their peace. And so these guys were scared for their lives. And they went into hiding, believing like this movement is over. They crucified him. It's, it's over. They, this thing that we believed in, that's it. That's the end of it. But within weeks, my friends, they begin to preach this Jesus, crucified and resurrected. What makes people that bold to come out and defy an entire empire if the resurrection wasn't real? And they were put on trials. They, they, they were arrested. They were, they were beaten. And the fact that Jesus told you here, Peter, would actually be crucified because of his faith. And he willingly gave his life because he's like, I can't deny what I experienced. You know, history shows us that Peter was later on crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way my Lord was. Right? Every single one of these first students of Jesus were basically martyred for their faith. Why would you get why would you give your life for something that's not real? Unless the resurrection was really real. Unless they experienced something they couldn't deny. Right? They would rather pay with their lives than deny something that they know is true. I don't know about you, but if, if I'm under pressure and I know something's not real, I'm going to be like, yo, man, we made that stuff up. Come on now, I ain't dying for nothing that's not real. <laughs> See, I don't mind dying. I just don't want to die over something stupid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you ever, you ever be like somewhere, someone trying to start trouble, you're like, bro, man, I, I got kids. I'm trying, to li- I'm trying to be a grandfather someday. Y'all ain't got no regards for human life. <laughs> like, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to reach 85. That's the goal. You know, I don't mind dying. I just hope it's something worth dying for. Dudes are dying over nothing. But, but that's, my friends, one of the greatest evidence of this thing is the first disciples. Why would you put your life on the line? And if you study history, every single one of them basically were martyred because they believe in the resurrection. Right? Which is very important. Understand this. This is very important. If Jesus could predict his death. Died the same, exactly the way that he believed he was going to die. If he can predict that he's going to raise from the dead, then my friends, I need to pay attention. This cannot just be a holiday. This can't just be a tradition. If someone can predict their death and predict their resurrection, he's got my attention. 
Right? This is not like halfway kind of like, you know, I'm trying to be religious. You know, I'm trying to go to church. No, this is like, man, this guy said he is going to die. He's going to raise himself from the dead. And he did that. And he, and he showed it. He proved it. He appeared to so many of us. And he's changing lives. Guess what? I can't be looking at this Jesus half-hearted. You have to understand why this conversation is so powerful. Because, because Peter had denied him three times. This is Jesus coming to restore Peter's faith. But also to let them know, like, hey, are we all in on this? Like, I, I'm not giving my life for flakiness. Come on now. I'm not giving my life for half-hearted people. I'm not going to give my life for us to kind of do this kind of halfway. I'm giving my life for us to go all in on this thing. Right? So I think it's important, my friends, if Easter is real, if Jesus really was a, a real person who lived in real time and died for, for the sins of the world and rose again like he predicted, then guess what? He has my attention. I, I can't be approaching this thing like it's part-time. It, it has to have my full attention. Come on. Are you tracking with me? Let, me? let me make this clear. If Easter is real, then there are implications. There are eternal implications. Like I can't live life before Easter the same way. Right? I can't live life before Easter like I don't know this is real. Like ignorance is not bliss. I've been exposed to too much to keep living life the same way. Right? Like I have to settle that. If this is real, now I can choose not to believe, but if it's real, there are implications to how I live my life. Right? And if it's real, then I need to pay attention to every single detail of what Jesus says and does. Because, man, if a man can predict his death and his resurrection, he has my attention. Right? So there are eternal implications here. And so he's not appearing to Peter just to give Peter some goosebumps. He's appearing to Peter to give Peter the mandate for life. Like, now that you guys got my attention, I have given my life for this. We need to have a heart-to-heart, Peter. And like I said, take Peter's name out and put your name in there. We need to have a heart-to-heart. Because I didn't give my life to go halfway. Because there's no such thing as halfway crooks. Oh, y'all thought it was just a song. Remember, he had denied him three times. And, and here's what's powerful about this, right? He denies Jesus three times. And I don't mean like he just said, nah, I don't know him. He was blatantly like in people's face about it because he was trying to protect himself. Because he knew like if I say I know him, I'm probably going to be arrested with him right now. Right? But here's what's fascinating about this is that Jesus was not surprised by Peter's denial. Because Jesus had a conversation about that denial with Peter. So this was not news to Jesus. Right? God, God is never surprised by what we do. He's never going, O-M, me. Like, <laughs> I thought that was my boy. How did he betray me? You know, God's not on Facebook going, I can't believe it. You can't trust anybody these days. (laughs) 
blocking Peter from his Facebook page. <laughs> you mad, God? No, they, they had a previous conversation. I want to show you this. This is powerful because I, I'm telling you, if you take Peter's name out and you put your name in there, God is talking to you too. You know, see, in Luke chapter 22, there's this really powerful conversation that Jesus had with Peter right before he went to the cross about what, what Peter was about to do. Look at this, right? In, in Luke 22, verse 31, it says, Simon, Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Let me holler at you. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. So think about it. Jesus was not surprised by Peter's denial. He had already pre-warned him that this was going to happen. So my friends, I got great news for you. Jesus is not surprised by your shortcomings. He's not repelled by it. He's not condemning you. He's not even judging you. He's actually letting you know, listen, I know what is about to happen. But guess what? I love this. He said, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you like Jesus prays for you. He's already predetermined. Like he said, listen, I prayed for you, and I'm, I'm going to tell you what you need to do when you come back. Like I prayed for you. All you got to do, Peter, is repent. Turn back to me, and then go strengthen your brothers. Can I tell you something? This is Christianity in a nutshell. This is it right here. God prays for you. God loves you. Right? He says, repent. In other words, change your mind about that, and then go do what I've asked you to do. Like, if you're wondering what this whole thing is about, this is it. In a nutshell, this is it. But, but I want you to catch something that Jesus said that Satan had asked to sift the disciples. Remember last week we talked about wheat? Can't escape wheat. You probably had wheat today. But there's a process to get wheat. Sifting is part of that process. You know what sifting does? Sifting removes all of the debris, all the junk. Maybe... Basically, the shaft has to go so that the wheat can stay. Do you understand what this is, how powerful this is? The enemy asked, hey, Jesus, can I test and see if these guys are for real? It's not if, it's when you get sifted. If you're walking with Jesus, you will get sifted. Right? I don't know where we got this idea that, you know, I'm walking with the Lord, nothing's going to go wrong. No, you're not in heaven. If you're not going through sifting, you ain't walking with Jesus. I'm going to tell you that right now. Right? Sifting is going to happen. Sifting says, let's test and see how serious you are about this thing. Because it's easy to raise your hand on Sunday morning. But can you raise your hand on Tuesday night in the middle of temptation? 
or trials or tribulations or people trying to come against you and lies have been said against you and people are starting to try to come and squeeze that thing out of you, do you understand that there's sifting that needs to happen? If you're not serious about sifting, you ain't serious about Jesus. And here's what I love about this, though. The enemy asked Jesus to let him sift him because he thought, listen, I can get these guys to abandon you. But even when the enemy comes against you, God will use it for your good to to transform you, to heal you, to restore you, and to empower you. Listen, we got to get to a mature level to understand this is a sifting moment. This will either break me or make me. And And I hate to say this, but not everybody gets through sifting. Some people are not here this morning because they couldn't handle a little sifting. There's no, listen, there's no such thing as halfway crooks. I'm trying to tell you this. There's no such thing as halfway disciples. There's no such thing as halfway into church. There's no such thing as halfway into Jesus. You're either going to be all in or you're not going to be nothing. There's no such thing. Everybody who says, I'm going to follow Jesus will go through sifting. It's through sifting that God is purging things out of you. It's, it's, it's another word for the refiner's fire. How do you get gold? You have to purify it. You don't get gold if you don't purify it. And the highest the heat, the greatest the gold. And God will take all of us through a sifting process. If you're paying attention, you're probably going through it right now. What you're thinking is just life, is, 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 it's a sifting moment. What you're thinking is just, you know, you know, the way that things go. No, no, it's a sifting moment. Here, Jesus kind of peeled back the curtain of spiritual world and says, look, there's an enemy. Because Peter didn't see Satan. If you go look at the temptations, there's never a time that Satan was like, hey, it's me. But he's behind the scenes. Trying to lure you away. And the whispers is, is if God is good, then why are you going through this? Are you tracking the sifting will take place. But let me tell you something. Sifting is not the absence of God. It's actually sometimes the greatest evidence that God is in your life right now. Making sure that all of the imperfections, all the impurities, all the lies, all the deceits, all that stuff, all the junk is being taken off of you. So you can actually live for him in the fullness of his will for your life. I'm going to keep saying this. There's no such thing as halfway crooks. Because the truth is, the real you comes out through sifting. You want to see some, a real person? Watch them how they handle pressure. You know when people say, I wasn't thinking? No, no, that's the real you that came out. Anyone can worship the Lord on vacation. You're in Cancun. What could go wrong? No, but it's in the refiner's fire, my friends. This is where Peter's are made. You know, he, he called him Peter on purpose. He says, no, I'm, I'm making a rock out of you. In other words, I'm making a pillar out of you. I've used this analogy before. My friends, Jesus is not building a church full of noodles. He's building a church full of pillars. Pillars is what's supporting this place right now from crumbling. Right? So, so in other words, this conversation he has with Peter, this is, this is him saying, listen, Satan sifts you. I'm here to purify you. I'm here to strengthen you because I need you to be a pillar and not a noodle. And you're like, what is a noodle? 
Did you ever watch those things outside of car dealer places? That's what I mean about noodle. They blow with whatever wind. Pillars don't blow. Pillars stay strong and solid through thick and thin. Come hell or high water, I've made up my mind. Focus. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of noodles in our society. Any little thing. No, he's like, I got to take you through the sifting process so y'all can make you a pillar. That's why he changed his name to Peter, Rock. You can't be wishy-washy about this. I put too much at stake for you to be wishy-washy about this. The moment you don't like something, you move forward. You move on. That's noodling. The moment you're, 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 you're confronted with something, you're offended. That's noodling. We've got a lot of noodles in our society. You know, no one can stand the heat. No one can stop and say, no, no, this is a test. This is a trial. But come hell or high water, my mind's made up. Lord, I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. Back in those days, you couldn't go, oh, I'll go to another church. There was no such thing. So, you know, we're gonna, we, this is it. We're going to stay in here. You know? So we got to develop some, Like, if the resurrection is real... Then, man, I need to pay attention to everything Jesus says and does. I can't go halfway. I can't be like checking this thing out. If you're new with us, God bless. But, man, sometimes it's day one that, that, that will determine your day 100. So he's like, man, I got to take you through this process, my friend, because, because Peter, you talk a good game, but you have a, time, you have a hard time following through. You know many people, yo, what do we got to do? It's like, I don't even know if you're going to be here next week. Come on. Right? So Jesus knows. He knows. Like, yeah, I know. I know you mean well. But we need to test that so you can stand the test. Because there's no testimony without a test. Right? So the sifting has to happen, my friends, for holiness to come out. We don't talk about holiness anymore in the church. Holiness is when you know I'm fully his. I'm not in the world in, of Jesus. I'm all in with Jesus. Like, I can't be doing both. Like, I, can't, I, can't, I don't need to have two Facebook accounts. I don't have to hide what's on my phone. I don't have to, to hide when the pastor comes around. I don't have to try to pretend. No, I'm all in. Like, I've been through the sifting. God has already tested me. He's already done all that stuff. I'm on this side. Right? You don't have to tell me the tithe. I'm all his. And get offended? Over what? I'm already dead. Being crucified with the Lord Jesus. No longer I will live, but Christ that lives in me. I'm just a mere vessel now that he can use for his glory and his honor and his will. <laughs> Friend, this is Christianity. You take up your cross and follow Jesus. There's no Christianity without a cross. There's got to be a burden on us to carry this thing forward. This is what he's doing with Peter, man. This conversation is powerful. Not everyone makes it through sifting. Some people are not here this morning because they didn't make it through the sifting. But they'll blame everybody. 
So this conversation, my friends, is Jesus coming to restore Peter. Here's what I love about this conversation. He didn't wait for Peter to come to him. If you notice the conversation, if you go back, listen, Peter went back to doing what he knew to do. He went back to fishing. But if you know the story, Jesus said, yeah, but you're going to fish for people. You're not just going to fish physically, but you're going to fish spiritually. Here's what I love about that. Jesus comes to you. He came to his workplace. I love that. In other words, this thing is not about church on Sunday morning. It's about your workplace too. Like he met him at his workplace and said, let's have this conversation in your workplace. Majority of, of, of moments with Jesus that I've had in my life wasn't on Sunday mornings. It was on, on typical Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. It just happened that Jesus is with me wherever I find myself in. He comes to him in his workplace. He validates his workplace. Right? And he says, hey, can, can we talk about this? That wasn't the first time he appeared to Peter, by the way. This was like the third time. But this time he's like, no, we need to have that talk. You know, it's the elephant in the room. And I would love to have a hidden camera on that moment because the other disciples were there. But it's like, can you imagine this? I was going, yo. You know, our conversation starts usually like, yo, how the, uh, how the Jerusalem Red Sox doing? You think Tel Aviv Patriots are going to do well this year? But then we're going to have this talk. But here's the, here's, here's the interesting thing, because I used to think about this wrong. I used to be like, yo, the disciples are like, oh, he's going in on Peter. But then I realized, wait a minute, they don't have a leg to stand on. Because they're all fled. So basically this conversation was about all of them. This conversation is powerful. Peter, do you love me? You walk with Jesus long enough, he's going to ask you that question. Not once, a few times in the course of your journey. Peter, do you love me? Now, this is not a guilt trip. This is not a condemnation because he came to him. And he told them already that this was going to happen. So, so this is Jesus' way of restoring Peter. Peter, I'm going to give you a chance to repent. Remember he told them? All you got to do is repent. But he didn't wait for Peter to come to him. He came to Peter. Why three times? Because three times he, he denied him. Three times he's like, listen, I'm going to give you three chances to confess the right thing. But not out of obligation. Because he didn't say, Peter, why'd you flake? He said, do you love me? Why? My friends, the greatest motive in life is love. Not fear, not obligation. Love is the greatest motivating factor. Nothing moves you more than love. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in love? No? Be careful. You're sitting next to the person that you, you say you love and you're like, Y'all are going to need 
marriage counseling today. I'm going to give you another chance, fellas. Have you ever been in love? See, that's why guys get in trouble. We don't know what's good for us. Right? Man, when you're in love, the stuff that you will do when you're in love. When you're in love, you ain't looking at the bank account. You write that thing on zero. Yo, we love you. Yo, we got this. But you know you don't. But you're in love. You can't fake the funk. There's no such thing as halfway. Right? When you, I remember when, when, when my wife was in her last semester in school, and I, and I had to go to Boston often on a budget. But, man, my gas, for some reason, would just keep extending itself. Extend. Should take me 45 minutes to get there. I'll get there in 20. So I'm just floating. I'm in love. Right? I take her out to Wendy's and say, girl, whatever you want. Whatever you want. You know? Chicken and chili? Remember the dollar menu chicken and chili? Like... That was a jam. And I could afford that on that dollar menu. But if you ain't in love, you're like, yo, did you see the gas price? We we, got to have to ration this thing. I'm going to see you every other week. (laughs) Do you understand why Jesus asked, do you love me? the greatest motivating factor in life. That's why you don't have, we should never force anyone to follow Jesus. That has to come from, from your heart. That's why you're asking the ultimate question. Not Peter, did you, why'd you flake? Or why, Peter, I can't believe you. No, but Peter, you love me. Like, really love me. The word he used there is agape. It's the word unconditional love. And it's interesting, the first time Peter responds in the Greek, he responded with phileo love. He's like, yeah, I love you like a brother. So Jesus asked the second time, do you agape me? Now, when I say that, I know, you know, I know we're in the hood. <laughs> what? So let me, let, me, let me translate it this way. In other words, yo, yo you with me? Because <laughs> we don't say, yo, you love me. <laughs> right? Well, you say, yo, are we good? Yo, you know we're good. (laughs) I'm your ride or die. Well, I don't know. Two weeks ago, you flaked. You see how powerful this is? Are we we, going to do this? Not condemning him. He's not judging him. He's restoring him. Peter, here's your chance to repent so we can get this thing moving. In the right direction. My friends, Christianity is a love devotion. Because love is the greater motivating factor. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That, my friends, is the greatest motivating factor in the history of life. Nothing moves you like love. Nothing compels you like love. Nothing drives you like love. Nothing will ever keep a person 
who loves another person do the right things. So this is not obligation, religious obligation, guilt obligation. I, I was just seeing something on Facebook when someone, you know, those things, those guilt trips, like if you, if you could go sit in an adventure movie for three hours, you can't go to church for an hour. It's like, that stuff don't work. You go to the Avengers movie because you love it. You go to church because you love it. Right? You serve because you love it. You give because you love it. You, this is no obligation. Because why? It won't last. It won't last. If it's guilt trips. It won't last if it's condemnation. And worse, parents, hear this. The worst. If my, if my children are motivated by love... They'll do the right thing in front of you and the wrong thing when you're not looking. It has to be love, my friends, that drives us forward as God's people. It's got to be love that drives our marriages. It's got to be love that drives our parenting. It's got to be love that drives our giving, our serving, our worship, our prayers. It's got to be love. If it's not love, it won't last. That's why Jesus has to have this conversation with us to say, do you truly love me? This is deeper than feelings and goosebumps. This is, love is an action verb. Love leads to action. Did you notice how he answered Peter back each time? Peter says, you know, I love you. You know what he said? Feed my sheep. What does that mean? He's saying, Lynn, if you love me, obey my commandments. This is not, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we had this talk. Because I was like kind of wondering, Peter, I wasn't sure, you know. <laughs> this is not one of those conversations. This is two things that, God, that Jesus is doing here. He's restoring Peter's identity, and then he's restoring his purpose. Your identity is, hey, I, we're in this love devotion together. That's my identity. God loves me. I love him. This is no obligation. This is no religious duty and, and, and guilt trips. No, this is a love relationship. I'm a child of God. He loves me. That's identity, my friends. So I operate from that place of love first. Then he's like, because, you, because we have established that, now it's easy for me to tell you what your purpose is. Your purpose is to feed my sheep. Peter's calling was to be the first pastor of the Jerusalem church. That was his calling. And if you're following Jesus, you have a calling. It may not be to be a pastor, but what is Jesus calling you to do? Because Jesus would never reveal himself to you only for you to have goosebumps. There's always a purpose after the love connection. What is Jesus calling you to do? My friends, Christianity comes down to these two things. Love devotion and love in action. That's ministry. We all have a ministry to fulfill in Jesus. This is it. It's a love devotion, and ministry is love in action. Peter, now that we establish that you love me, and you're for me, and I'm for you, now what are we going to do to help people? Ministry basically is how do you help others? He says, when you come back, Peter, from that failure, I want you to go strengthen your brothers. That's ministry. Every single one of us have a ministry. Some of us have multiple ministries. 
Because he said, sometimes I'll give you one talent, sometimes I'll give you two, sometimes I'll give you three. But guess what? He said, he said listen, to whom much is given, much is required. So there is, my friends, Easter has implications of how I live my life. That's why I think some people would rather do the one time a year thing. But guess what? You're never going to be satisfied. You're, you're the seed on a shelf that wasn't poured out to actually produce life. You will hibernate for the rest of your life. And if you ask me, that's purgatory. Because there's no such thing as purgatory in the Bible. But there's purgatory living. It's just existing, holding on to my own thing. Because the question is put out there for all of us, do you love me? And few of us will heed that question and internalize it and then say, okay, God, now what do you want to do through me is ministry. All of us have a ministry, my friends. Every single one of us. I just happened to be a pastor because he called me to be a pastor. But can I tell you this? I never prayed in my 21 years of following Jesus. I never said, Jesus, make me a pastor. My prayer was, Jesus, makes me useful. And he chose to, to lead me this way, but he, he will choose to lead you in other ways. But I guarantee you this, he wants to use you to help people. Because that's the greatest ministry in life. How are we helping others? For Peter was, hey, you're going to pastor this Jerusalem church, and it wasn't going to be easy. Because he had to pastor a church in the middle of persecution. Did you see what just happened in Sri Lanka? That's what they used to deal with on every given day. They would get killed for their faith. And I just heard a powerful reflection by a priest in Sri Lanka about how do you reconcile all this. And he says, you reconcile all this the same way you reconcile Jesus on the cross. That God still loves the world that tries to blow people up. He says, if you don't reconcile that, then you don't believe in the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection because it was on Easter Day that those churches were bombed. And on our Easter Day, they have to wrestle with that. God, is this still real? What is the calling in your life? That's the implication of Easter. Peter goes on to be the pastor. He goes on to write his letters to these different churches that, that Jesus put them over. And then he paid with his life. And we live in America. Thankfully, we don't, we're not facing that kind of persecution but we do have a calling to fulfill. When my father got saved, he understood that calling. He began to speak this over us. And I'm so glad he did. He said, church starts at home. For some of you, your first ministry is right at home. Sometimes we neglect the very people that are inside of our homes. Fellas, if you're married... Your first ministry is your marriage. You know, he said to love your wife like you love the church. Like he loved the church. Church starts at home. If we can't do it at home, we won't do it anywhere else. And if God can't trust you with that, he can't trust you with anything else. Because sifting is also testing to see what can you handle. Sometimes I hear people pray for things. I'm like, can you handle it if it comes? Because the, the hard part is not getting the blessing, it's maintaining it. Some people pray for a bigger house, but can you maintain a mortgage? Can you maintain the upkeep? Some people are praying for a relationship, but can you maintain it? 
Because God never gives you something for the moment. He gives you something for eternity. I tell the young people all the time, can God trust you with one of his daughters? Because that's the responsibility of ministry. Ministry is how are you going to handle what I'm trusting you with? You want a promotion? Can you handle where you are right now? Before you can be promoted with more responsibilities. Having kids is a ministry. Anyone can have sex. But you got to have ministry to actually take care of these kids and nurture these kids and help these kids and bless these kids and, 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 and grow and raise them up in the things of God. That's ministry. Anyone can go to a building on Sunday morning, but it takes ministers. I have the utmost respect for everybody who puts their hands to the plow. It's ministry. When I get here this morning and I saw guys in the parking greeting, that's ministry. When you see people with their signs, that's ministry. When you see the security guys making sure that everything is good and safe, that's ministry. When the porters are trying to keep you in order and you're acting up, that's ministry. Right now, we have tons of people out there ministering to our children. This is no small thing, my friends. This is raising an entire generation to learn to love God and love people. Easter has implications on how you live your life. If it's real, then there has to have a response. It can't just be, oh yeah, you died and rose again, great, we got Easter eggs. No, that's completely missing the point. No, it's like, okay, God, now what? It's the best part of the movie. I get to play. Like, pull me in, coach. We get to drive this thing forward. We, we, get, we get to tell people about your love. We get to help a dying world find healing and restoration. You know, we're building a building, not to say, oh my gosh, we have a building. No, it's to say, God, what do you want to do in this building? How many lives do you want to touch in this building? How many lives do you want to restore in this building? Listen, my friends, it comes down to my love for Jesus has to have a tangible response. You can't say you love someone and not do anything for them. That's not love. That's a feeling. There's no way. Love is an action verb for God's so love. Aren't you glad he didn't go, hey, love you guys. I'm with you in spirit. You ever heard that? It's one of my pet peeves. Don't tell me that. It would make me put Jesus on hold. I know you guys are working at the building, but I'm with you in spirit. No, no, we need your head and your feet. We need you rolling, sanding, connecting. That's love. Love builds. That's true love. We got to get away from this thing of feeling God. Sometimes you don't feel anything. He's trying to say to you, do you love me? Some weeks you're going to come here, you're not going to feel a thing. It doesn't mean God's not real. It's a sifting. Let's get rid of those feelings. So who we put up here, we don't need you to sing. We need you to worship. This is true love. It acts. It says, you love me, feed my... Three times. Oh, you love me, feed my sheep. 
You love me? Feed my sheep. And then at the end, what do you say? Follow me. Follow me, Peter, if you truly love me. Unconditional love does not put conditions in how this love is going to be reflected. Let me translate that for you. Unconditional love is not coming in here and going, hey, uh, so here's, here's who I am. And here's what I can bring to the table. Our resume means jack to Jesus. He doesn't care. He's like, you want to see my resume? Here's how I love. Can you love like this? That's how I love. My friends, Jesus saved you, first of all, to have an intimate love devotion. But he also saved you to be useful, to help people. When it's all said and done, he's going to say, what would you do with the life that I gave you to help others? He's not going to ask you what Sally did, what Joe did. He's going to ask you, what, what did you do with what I trusted you with to do? Peter, your job is to follow me. You know, I love Peter because <laughs> Peter is so human. I love it. If you keep reading the same passage, right? After all that powerful conversation, Peter looks over at John and goes, Hey, Jesus, I know I'm supposed to follow you and all, but what about that guy, though? (laughs) Funny thing is, we're reading John's gospel, right? This is John's gospel. He wrote it. He gave himself a nickname. He's like, I'm the beloved. I'm the one that Jesus really loves, which is like, yo, you got to be some type of way to give yourself your own nickname, (laughs) right? It's like, I'm the beloved. So Peter's like, yo, what about that guy that keeps saying he's the beloved? Like, what about him, though? And I love Jesus because he's so hood. (laughs) Jesus told Peter, mind your business. (laughs) You know how far that verse will take us if we take it to heart? Mind your business and do what I ask you to do. That's what he told him. Go read it. I didn't make it up. It's right there. A few verses down. Ministry, my friends, is whatever you do for the Lord is ministry. Colossians 3.17 was actually a mantra of these first disciples. And they would tell this to each other. Look, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's ministry. Your words can minister to people. Your actions can minister to people. It says, when you're speaking, you're representing Jesus. When you're doing, you're representing Jesus. Tomorrow morning at your job, you're a minister. The way you talk to your boss, you're ministering. The way you talk to people underneath you is ministry. The way you help people who can't do anything back to you, that's ministry. If there has to be conditions, it's not ministry. It's favor. Right? You wash my hand, I wash your hands. Just like, no, we, we got rid of all that. We wash each other's feet. We're ministers. If Easter is real, I can't go back and live in life like it's not. I know too much. Right? If this thing is real, then, then there's got to be implications. So the implications today, my friend, is, is do you love Jesus more than anything else? Notice he said, do you love me more than these He's like, do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than your, the, the other disciples? Do you love me more than your condition right now? Because if you do, Peter, we're going to go somewhere with this thing. 
Here's a tough one. Do you love Jesus more than you love your religion? Because some people will do religion, but they won't do Jesus. I'm a good person. Look at everything I've done. That's not the point. Do you love Jesus? Because he has a ministry for you. And most likely, you're already in that ministry. You just got to be aware of what you say and do now. In this church, we work in teams because we believe everybody is part of this ministry. From the parking lot all the way to the kids' ministry. It's all ministry. It's all of us saying, Jesus, how can you use me to help somebody else? That's what post-Easter is all about. That's when you know you really met Jesus and not just a tradition. It's when now you begin to give your life for this thing and live it out every single day in tangible ways. Because I love Jesus. I'm going to feed the sheep in whatever capacity he allows me to do that. That's what post-Easter is all about. That's what this conversation is about. If you're paying attention, every so often, Jesus wants to have that conversation with you. Not out of guilt, not out of condemnation, but to say, hey, are we on the same page going forward? Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a second. And as, as much as you can, I want, I want you to try to visualize this conversation between you and Jesus. I want you to imagine Jesus saying, do you love me? Do you truly love me? Are we on the same page? Remember, he came to give Peter a chance to repent and be restored. So each time he asked him that question, he was giving Peter a chance to, to open his mouth and say, Lord, you know I love you. There's power in the confession of your mouth. The Bible says there's power in your words. And I want to encourage you to respond to Jesus' question today. I want you to hear yourself say it. You know I love you, Lord. You know I love you, Jesus. Jesus, I really love you. Jesus, I want to live for you. Jesus, if you predicted your death and rose again, you have my attention. And Jesus, I want to do whatever you have in front of me to do. Whatever ministry. Jesus, as a husband, I want to be a minister to my wife. As a father, I want to be a minister to my children. As a worker, I want to be a minister to my workplace. 
whatever it is, Jesus, in this church, I want to find my place to minister. But I know I'm not enough unless you come. Thank you for coming to Peter. Thank you for coming to me. So today, Jesus, I choose to love you because you first loved me. And I pray that I will be yours, that I will faithfully serve you and walk with you and live my life in the fullness of your will. And I pray that I will be useful in your hands. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to connect with us, you can find us at newlifesouthcoast.com for any further information.